Those altruistic lobbyists are at it again. Hi, I'm Philip Lumel. Welcome to No Uncertain Terms, the official podcast of the Turn Limits Movement for the week of October 10th, 2022. Your sanctuary from partisan politics. Big political lobbies often claim to oppose term limits because term limits give more power to big political lobbies. <laughs> Think about that. The latest example of this phenomena comes from North Dakota, and U.S. term limits executive director Nick Tombalides isn't buying it. Hey, Nick. Hey, Phil. Great to be back in the saddle. Yeah. Welcome back. Well, today I want to talk about these... Uh, <laughs> These two lobbyist organizations representing the largest industry in North Dakota, uh, which have just come out with a joint statement last week opposing Measure 1, which is the measure that the voters put on the ballot that would put eight-year term limits on the governor and the state legislature. You've heard about this. And <laughs> there's uh, mm-hmm. both of the, the two farm groups. One of them sort of represents more Democrats and the other more Republicans, but both of them represent the, the, uh, the industry of agriculture the largest in North Dakota. Um, North Dakota Farmers Union President Mark Watney is quoted in this statement as saying, at Farmers Union, we have the long-standing policy that opposes term limits because they are a limitation on the rights of citizens to choose and elect their public officials. Term limits also put more power into the hands of professional lobbyists. <laughs> what say ye? <laughs> like professional lobbyists like you? Yeah. <laughs> this this guy is a professional lobbyist. He is of course. Argu- he's arguably the most powerful professional lobbyist in the state of North Dakota. So here is a lobbyist, an employer of lobbyists, right? Telling us the opposes term limits because it would give more power to himself. It's yeah, completely nonsensical. Um, it is, and you know, it's it's actually pretty typical. Uh, because what's a big lobbying organization going to say? You know um, that we want we want to continue the uh, to keep the incumbent uh, politicians in power that we've been paying all these years, and so in order to uh, empower ourselves, we are opposing this terminalist measure. That doesn't fly. So they flip it around. They come up with this absurd idea that they're so altruistic that they're willing that they're against this measure because it would take away their own influence. When influence is exactly what their business is. I've never it's met a lobbyist what they do. who's yeah, I've never met a lobbyist interested in uh reducing his own influence. You've got to <laughs> you've got to read between the lines here. Um yeah. we know term limits have bipartisan support from the public, but mm-hmm. also term limits have bipartisan opposition from lobbyists. It is much easier for a lobbyist to depend on a long-term legislator, someone who's in the good old boy network who without blinking, is going to dole out all the subsidies, the grants, the carve-outs, the exceptions, the special interest deals to protect cronies like this in both of these groups. It's much easier for them to rely on a long-term lawmaker than a new public servant who is way less detached from the voters. Sure. You make a really good point about it being nonpartisan, because you're right. These two organizations represent the same industry, but sort of from a different political viewpoint. Yeah. And... So here we have this nonpartisan opposition from the establishment, and we just saw polling that 81% of people in North Dakota support the measure, 
And that is also nonpartisan because large majorities of both Democrats, Republicans, and independents are in support. Yeah. It, it's, so. it's amazing, really. Um, the, this issue has to be looked at differently from everything else in politics and that it, it's never been left-right. It's always been people versus the ruling elite. That's it's it. the public, regardless of party, is in favor of term limits, and the ruling elite, regardless of party, is opposed. And right. it, it, it's always going to be that way. And we find that uh, farming groups in particular tend to be opposed to term limits uh, even more aggressively than other lobbyists because a legislator who's been in for 30 years, he doesn't blink when a farming lobbyist comes in and asks him to fix the price of crops above the market or give some special deal to the farming community. He's in their pocket. He can't be removed. He doesn't care. But a right. new person who is much closer to their constituents than the Capitol might express some skepticism. He might say, hey, wait a minute. Is it fair to do this? Is it fair to force my constituents to subsidize you guys, make them subsidize big agribusiness? He'll be a lot more skeptical. And that is what lobbyists fear. They fear skepticism. They fear legislators who won't cooperate with them. And that is exactly what term limits deliver. Sure. And that's why all the money and all these joint statements come out from lobbyists against term limits. I mean, it, if 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 um, term limits actually assisted lobbyists, then you would find that big lobbying organizations would be funding U.S. term limits. And yet none of them do. I mean, we're not going to turn yeah. away any checks, of course. <laughs> but 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 we they're not forthcoming. It hasn't happened is the point. yet. It hasn't right. happened yet. In our, in our entire history as an organization, uh, I I've yet to have a single lobbyist knock on my door and attempt to give me a check. I not to say I don't wait by the door every day, but it hasn't <laughs> happened yet. It might in the future. Who no. knows? They're always on the other side of this issue. It's obvious why. It's obvious why. What do they do for a living? Their whole point is to deliver influence to clients who are trying to. Um, trying to get something through the legislature or trying to have access to or influence over the legislature. Their whole job is to establish these relationships, maintain them, keep the politicians that go along with them in power um, for as long as possible. And term limits upend that apple cart. I mean, first of all, they limit the amount of time that politicians stay in office. They often often um, also limit the the uh, power of the relationships that the lobbyists have because they have to keep reestablishing new ones. Yeah, it was it was Jack Abramoff, the uh, now disgraced former Washington Uber lobbyist who said that uh, lobbyists oppose term limits because a politician who stays in office for life and is a friend is worth his weight in gold to the lobbying community. He's because he's so dependable. Lobbyists prefer a lifetime subscription to one legislator. They don't want to have to ha keep reestablishing uh, these relationships. And that's why well over 90% of all money from lobbying organization goes to incumbent legislators. And that's true at the federal level and it's true at the state level as well. Um, and, and we've, we, by the way, let me just make a quick note. Uh, we sure. have chronicled this in the past. We've looked at statewide term limits initiatives, uh, for example, back in 2012 in California, when mm -hmm. um, the political class was attempting to repeal California's citizen-imposed term limits. We looked at this in Arkansas in 2014 when the same thing occurred. And in every single one of these cases, when you follow the money, the lobbyists are contributing exclusively 
to whichever side is trying to prevent, weaken, or abolish term limits. That's it. And if, if, if term limits benefited lobbyists, the opposite would be true, but it's simply not true. It's one of the biggest lies in politics that term limits benefit lobbyists, and you need to look no further than you know, uh, following the money to figure that out. That's right. Well, this joint statement doesn't stop with the biggest lie in politics. It also includes the second biggest. Um, let me read the <laughs> <laughs> let me read a, um It was a joint statement. So let's read the other half of the statement. This is Daryl Lies. Um, who Wait, the is, guy's name is Lies. Yeah, Daryl. He's lies. lying. And that's his name. too. <laughs> yes. Well, that's <laughs> convenient for us. Yeah, really convenient. They really put this one on the T for us. But go ahead. <laughs> well, they're being honest about this, at least on this name. Okay, so North Dakota Farm Bureau President Daryl Lies, in the same release, says, <laughs> get this, why should we be forced to get rid of the very people who are so good for North Dakota? As voters, we should have the right to vote for leaders of our choice. Yeah. Now, are we talking about a referendum here? That was put well, yeah, on the ballot we, by we, citizens who signed petitions to put it on the ballot and will have the opportunity to vote on it in November? Citizens collected 46,000 signatures. Um, they only needed around 32,000, so they went well above and beyond what was legally required because people in North Dakota are so excited about term limits, it was not hard to get them to sign a petition. Uh, they will ultimately decide on November 8th whether uh, eight-year term limits for the House and the Senate and the governor are added into the the state constitution. So citizens have been in charge of this process from soup to nuts. Uh, this is a citizen-driven process. Term limits is a citizen-driven uh, movement. I mean, it's so narrow and parochial for someone to say, you know, citizens only have a right to the, to either vote for this 40-year incumbent politician or not vote for them. Now, quite frankly, most incumbent politicians don't have real competition. They're either under-opposed or totally unopposed. We know one in three state legislators is totally unopposed. So citizens don't have that many choices at the ballot box under the status quo. But to view the power of a citizen so narrowly uh, is is frankly insulting. And mm -hmm. I, I would say I would say it's also un-American um, yeah. because, you know, there are all kinds of parameters that we've established uh, that make our government more democratic and preserve our republic and some of those do restrict who you can vote for. And so, for example, if, if you're voting for president, you can't vote for someone who's under 35 and born in another country. Mm -hmm. um, you know, with term limits, you can't vote for someone who's been in office for more than eight years. It, these are all things that the framers of our country supported. Um, you know, Benjamin Franklin put term limits into the Constitution of Pennsylvania. So he's attacking uh, the very history of our republic. He's attacking the people of North Dakota who put this on the ballot, and he's attacking the 81% of North Dakota voters in the poll who said they want term limits on the legislature. It is a very pro-democracy position of ours that we support the right of the voters to set the rules of the game and to choose their leaders according to those rules. And that is the only way that we can really be protected from special interests established right. special interests who have ex enormous amount of power on who ends up on the ballot, particularly if there's an incumbent in the race. They know, and if you look at this quote, the second one I just read from Daryl Lies, he makes two points. 
why should we be forced to get rid of people who are so good for North Carolina, uh, North Dakota? That is to say, why can't we vote for incumbents? And two, we should have the right to vote for leaders of our choice. It sounds like to me that his only interest in democracy is allowing people to vote for incumbents that he supports, not yeah. for voters to set the rules of the game, not to uh, choose amongst uh, the people right. that are on the ballot as a result of those rules chosen by the people. They want the, the choices on the ballot to be chosen by them, and that's why they oppose Measure 1. Yeah. And, and what we've seen, I mean, thankfully, we don't need to go into a fantasy dream world and ask what uh, effect term limits would have on elections. There are 15 states that already have term limits for their state legislature that have already right. done what the voters of North Dakota are attempting to do right now. And in those states, has the sky fallen? No, quite the opposite. The elections have gotten more competitive. They see more candidates vying for office because the barriers for entry are lower, and thus the voter is afforded far more choices. The voters in Florida have more choices than ever before as a result of having term limits here, and that will also be true in uh, North Dakota. So you're, you're actually unlocking more democracy, more choices for the voters, and incumbency, as we've noted here, has done far more to keep choices off the ballot. Than, than term limits have. I mean, the power of incumbent has such a chilling effect on competition. Um, if this, he's really interested in giving voters a choice, he needs to step into the ballot box on November 8th and vote yes. There you go. What, what a scumbag. This is a public service announcement. Nationally, U.S. term limits has collected an impressive roster of state chairs, successful and connected individuals who have taken on the task of promoting the term limits convention in their respective states. You can find the full list of U.S. term limits state chairs on the website at termlimits.com forward slash state dash chairs. One example is Rachel McCubbin of Kentucky, who appeared in late September on Andrew Wilco's radio program on the Salem News Channel. My next guest is Kentucky State Chair for U.S. Term Limits and a former state director for Senator Rand Paul, Rachel McCubbin. Rachel, welcome. It's good to have you on Wilkow. Thank you, Kevin. It's great to be with you. Um, there's so much that I would uh, love to ask you about um, because you've you've you know been on the term limits. Uh, issue for such uh, a long time, and there's really a need for it now more than ever in so many different respects. What's the what's the overriding argument for why term limits should be adopted and sooner rather than later? The overriding argument is that our system is broken. It really um, is so prejudiced towards the incumbent that it just suppresses new ideas coming into the market and um, it makes it almost impossible for someone to defeat an incumbent. It takes care of a lot of the uh, corruption of special interests that uh, sort of latch on to incumbents and it just clears the decks and gives us an opportunity to bring some new ideas and new flesh and blood into our United States Congress and it's a an idea whose time has come. I know there are many people, um, some of the Trump supporters would call them rhinos, um, that have supported uh, Mitch McConnell for a long time. For me personally, he's been a mixed bag. I've, I've got great respect for what he did during the Trump years in terms of getting judicial appointments uh, set up. I mean, we, we had, I think, close to 300 
uh, judges added to the circuits, and many of them in very important positions that will be there for a very long time. Not 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 to just mention the Supreme Court, which has now um, re revolutionized uh, where this country is headed from a jurisprudence standpoint. But um, you know, even someone like uh, Senator McConnell, who's done a good job at times being leader. Uh, there's people that get tired of him being there and thinking he should give an opportunity for the uh, young bucks to come along. So what what is the argument for uh, how long you'd like to see term limits in place? Uh, what what types of um, uh, kind of guidelines would, if, if your group had a way of, of saying this is our wish list, what would it include? Well, it would include just a couple of terms in the House and the Senate so they could add together. But those are the types of things that would be hammered out uh, in a, uh, a convention where the states got together and worked out those details. But at the very least, it should be just a couple of terms in, in each house. Um, and, and I couldn't agree with you more, Kevin, about your comments about Senator McConnell. I've been involved in Kentucky politics for a long time, and I have enormous respect for his knowledge uh, and skill and the things that have occurred in, in Kentucky, really with Senator McConnell's help. But in my opinion, this should not be a referendum on one person. Right. You could ask me about Speaker Pelosi, for example. It shouldn't be a referendum <laughs> on starting a countdown clock for Speaker Pelosi. And at the same time, it also shouldn't, I shouldn't avoid term limits if I have a loyalty to a member of Congress that I'm very fond of. For example, Senator Paul. Right. I think he's doing a super job and he could do a, a great job for years to come. But that shouldn't negate the argument for term limits. I don't think that our founding fathers ever imagined a professional class of politicians there. Uh, people did their service. They went back to their communities and continued the professions that they had before they went to Washington. And I don't think they could have anticipated the special interest monies and how that has corrupted the system as well. So I think uh, they were very wise in giving us a method to amend our Constitution. It should be a very heavy lift to amend the Constitution. We don't want to willy-nilly, you know, be changing it every year. So it's going to be a huge job. And right. I don't think we can count on the Congress to initiate that. It has to be something that comes from the grassroots up. And yeah. you see the numbers, um, Kevin, about how many people support term limits. It is, you know, I've worked in public policy for so many years, and I can't think of another thing where you can get people on every side of the aisle to agree, but they do agree on this. Um, yeah. 82 percent of Americans believe we need term limits for Congress. Uh, it's a little higher among Republicans, a little lower among Democrats, and but still independents as well. And if you don't, you know, believe a, a poll that you've seen published, I, I decided to do my very own sort of impromptu poll, and literally for about two weeks, every person I talked to, anything more than just a casual hello, I would just say, let me ask you a random question. How do you feel about term limits for Congress? And with only two exceptions, they said, absolutely, it's time. Yeah. So talk to, to us about how uh, Andrew's viewers can um, uh, latch onto your group, stay in touch with what's going on, and, and well, get motivated and activated. It is very hard to remember this. Our website is termlimits.com. So uh, can't get any easier than that, right? 
you can go there and you can actually sign a petition yourself and that would information be made available to your member of congress so they start to see uh, the groundswell of interest in their local uh, by their constituents uh, in term limits um, what our organization is also doing is organizing state by state so we're working in the legislatures because we need to get a resolution passed out of uh, a large number of our state legislatures to call on Congress to have an Article 5 uh, yeah. convention. So, well, so yeah. I want to think a little bit bigger than that. You said that they, they individually could go. I, I want everyone watching to not only go, but then forward that link to 20 or 30 of your friends. Because if, if, we, if, if we think in those terms, we can start to move the needle uh, and maybe sooner rather than later. Well, it looks like another politician has announced that he is going to use the procedure currently being used by the Michigan legislative leadership to use deception in order to overturn an established and popular term limit. This example is from El Salvador, and it concerns the announcement of President Naib Bukele that he intends to run again for president in 2024. One problem. In El Salvador, consecutive terms are banned by the Constitution. In the September 24th issue of The Economist magazine, the columnist Bello writes about Bukele's big election lie under the subtitle, Abolishing Term Limits is the Road to Tyranny. The lie that Bello is talking about is that in making the announcement, he warned that his decision would be met with a lot of criticism from abroad, and he said that this criticism would be hypocritical since, quote, nearly all developed countries, quote, allow for re-election, and it's banned only, quote, in the third world. In the words of The Economist, Bukele's statement contained a whopping fib. Of 35 countries considered developed by the IMF, the names of which he read out, all but the United States and South Korea have parliamentary systems. Their heads of government are not directly elected. So unlike Latin American presidents, these prime ministers are accountable to parliaments and can fall at any time, as has happened recently in Britain, Sweden, and Italy. Plus, of course, a maximum of two terms is the rule in the United States and two consecutive ones in Argentina and Brazil, for example. In fact, The Economist points out, it is permanent re-election, which is correlated with the so-called third world, not limitation of government. In telling the El Salvador story, Bello explains why this is so. Here are the key paragraphs of that article. In a legislative election last year, Bukele's New Ideas Party won a two-thirds majority in the National Assembly. He used that to retire a third of the judges and appoint a Supreme Court to his liking. The Constitution states that alternation in power is, quote, indispensable. But the court's newly appointed constitutional chamber duly ruled that the bar on re-election violated the people's right to choose whom they want. On paper, this ruling applies only to a second term, but it doesn't take a shaman to foresee that the same argument will apply in 2029. For practical purposes, El Salvador has thus joined Bolivia, Nicaragua, and Venezuela in abolishing term limits. To achieve this in Venezuela, Hugo Chavez went to the trouble of organizing a new constitution and a referendum. Mr. Bukele has aped the newer fashion of getting pliant courts to do the job, as in Bolivia and Nicaragua. It is no coincidence that most, if not all, checks and balances on the executive have withered in these countries. 
The problem for Salvadorians is that if and when they tire Mr. Bukele, it might be too late for them to get rid of him. The countries that have abolished term limits are amongst the poorest in Latin America. Those that allow a second term, but only with a gap, are the richest, Chile, Costa Rica, and Uruguay, or amongst the fastest growing, Panama and Peru. It is permanent re-election, which is correlated with the third world. Thanks for joining us for another episode of No Uncertain Terms. The term limits convention bills are moving through the state legislatures. This could be a breakthrough year for the term limits movement. To check on the status of the term limits convention resolution in your state, go to termlimits.com slash take action. There, you will see if it has been introduced and where it stands in the committee process on its way to the floor vote. If there's action to take, you'll see a take action button by your state. Click it. This will give you the opportunity to send a message to the most relevant legislators, urging them to support the legislation. They have to know you're watching. That's turnlimits.com slash take action. If your state has already passed the Turnlimits Convention resolution or the bill's not been introduced in your state, you can still help. Please consider making a contribution to U.S. term limits. It is our aim to hit the reset button on the U.S. Congress, and you can help. Go to turnlimits.com slash donate. Termlimits.com slash donate. Thanks. We'll be back next week. The revolution isn't being televised. Fortunately, you have the No Uncertain Terms podcast. STL. Yeah.